Hello and welcome back. I'm Pastor Mark McCrory out here in Arizona sharing with you some of the foundational uh, worldviews that, that we Christians have, uh, examining who God is and who we are and how God relates to us. And today, uh, in this class, we're going to talk about the sacrament of the altar, also called Holy Communion. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper, and sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Uh, so let's jump right in. We'll look right at uh, Martin Luther's small catechism. What is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. Where is this written? The holy evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also St. Paul in his letter to Corinthians, uh, they all write, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So you remember we're talking about the means of grace. God's word is one of the means, the ways, that the Holy Spirit works to, to bring faith uh, to our hearts. The sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are two more ways uh, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, even still today. Uh, so if we look at the next slide, we can see uh, the next question is, what are we receiving in the Lord's Supper? And this is one of the big questions that people have, depending on what church background you may have. Uh, this may be uh, kind of a newer idea to you. Uh, but we receive Christ's very body and blood, and here's the underlines, in, with, and under the bread and wine. In, with, and under in your workbook. That's the underlines if you're taking notes. The bread and wine. Uh, by receiving this gift, Christ grants to us, fill in the blank, forgiveness of sins. We actually receive something there. Salvation, because where there is forgiveness of sins, you now have salvation. And eternal life. And so if you're saved, you now will receive eternal life when you die or when Jesus comes back, if it's before then. Uh, now, the next uh, slide. <clears throat> Again, this is straight from Luther's Catechism. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? Well, these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, shows us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And then Luther asked a really good question next. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? 
It is not the eating and drinking indeed that does them, but the words here written, given and shed for you for the remission of sins. Which words, besides the bodily eating and drinking, are the chief thing in the sacrament. And he that believes these words has what they say and express, uh, namely, the forgiveness of sins. Remember we talked about uh, baptism in the last lesson. We talked about it's not just the water. It's plain water. There's nothing special about the water. It's the water joined with God's word, with the promise that it is for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus institutes uh, in the same way, with the bread and the wine, with God's word, it is for us uh, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, the Holy Spirit is working and acting there. Now let's talk about the difficulty of this teaching, uh, specifically the body and the blood. Uh, in uh, John chapter 6, Jesus uh, has this interaction with a crowd of people, that uh, many of whom uh, were in the crowd earlier who had been fed. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, with just a few fish and, and loaves of bread, uh, a miraculous event for sure. And uh, time has gone by and quite frankly, they're hungry again. Uh, but also they wanna see this amazing miracle again. So they come to Jesus again. And so in John chapter six, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, your tummies were full, now they're hungry again. And he said, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Verse 31, uh, They're talking to Jesus here. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they're referencing uh, Moses and the Israelites in the book of Exodus, so leaving Egypt. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is where the record player goes, screech, 
Wait, what? <laughs> what did he just say? The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So let's pay attention to where Jesus goes from here. Uh, they are struggling with this concept. And Jesus, let's see, does he correct them? Say, oh no, it just symbolizes. Or does he push them further? Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Well, there's something new. They, he just added that on them. They hadn't heard that before. Unless you do that, you have no life in you. So, uh, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am in him. This is uh, uh, getting very graphic, vulgar, you might say, very offensive. 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And we would say the same thing today. This is a, this is a difficult teaching. And yet it is the words of Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. So we're going to take Jesus at his word. Uh, verse 61, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? I mean, we would say, yeah, it's kind of gross. Uh, then, what if I were to, uh, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Of course, Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who would not believe and who would betray him, talking about Judas, verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, look, there's no verse... Uh, 66 or there's no verse 67 where Jesus says hey guys wait come back uh, you misunderstood me I meant symbolizes no I didn't mean to offend you I, I didn't mean to gross you out uh, uh, come on back guys come on back don't leave don't leave no they turned and they walked away and then right after this Jesus turns to the 12 the inner circle of his disciples and said do you too want to walk away and Peter said Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life right your words are truth your words are are God's words uh, we, we take you at your word and so it is a very a very difficult teaching uh, but one of the things that I think is so important uh, again we're talking about Kind of this framework, this kind of Lutheran worldview. What does it? What does it mean? It means that uh, 
we take God at his word, and, and that's it. Remember when we talked about the Trinity a few lessons ago, about one God, three persons, it's confusing, I don't understand. Uh, and many people fall into error, uh, heresy, false teaching, uh, by trying to make it make sense. You can go to one side, say, well, there's three gods. Or you can go to the other side, well, there's not three persons, just one God, that's all there is. No, we, we are able to hold two truths in tension with each other because we know that this is how God has presented it to us. And God is so far above our comprehension that we just say, okay, thank you for revealing what you have. Maybe God could reveal more to us uh, to understand more, but probably if he answered one of our questions, it would probably be more mind-boggling than we are. It would be a million more questions uh, about that one answer. So uh, God has revealed to us all that we need to know. We just trust him and accept him in his word. Uh, so a little bit earlier in this lesson, uh, we read uh, or uh, from the catechism, we talked about how uh, what, is, what is communion we receive uh, the body and blood of Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. So the question is, what does in, with, and under mean? What does that mean that we receive it in, with, and under the bread and wine? Well, I don't exactly know myself. Uh, That's why it's sacrament. Remember that word mystery. Mysterion is the Greek word. Uh, it, it is a mystery to some extent. And I think we uh, fall uh, well, we go into dangerous territory when we try to explain more than what God explains uh, in what this is. And so on the next slide, I kind of uh, divided, there's basically three different understandings of the Lord's Supper, what, what is happening in the Lord's Supper. And so I just want to kind of flesh those out, just not to bash <laughs> uh, other churches, uh, but just to give a clearer picture of, of where we stand. Uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, if I were to go to communion, uh, uh, receive the, the, the host and drink out of the cup, and then after the service, I ask the priest, what did I receive this morning? What did you put in my mouth? And he would say, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and only the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And this is a, uh, maybe an example of uh, what happens when we try to over-explain uh, more than what God has explained to us, again, just to try to make it make more sense to more people. Uh, see, this, uh, maybe you've heard of the word transubstantiation. Uh, this is the Roman Catholic understanding of what happens in communion. Uh, trans is a prefix that means to change. You've probably heard of transgender, for example. Uh, and substantiation, it comes from a Neoplatonic uh, philosophy, kind of a worldview uh, where everything in the universe is made up of forms and substances. The form is what we see here. The substance is that ideal or maybe definitive uh, description of what that is. So if there were a table in front of us right now, uh, the form of the table could be square, it could be round, uh, it could be three legs or four legs, 
Okay, they, they have different forms, right, that make a table. But up in the universe, uh, there's the substance of a table. What defines a table? Right, it's got to have a flat top. It's got to have at least three legs. Um, just that's probably the fundamentals of it right there. Um, but that's the way they used to think about stuff, material, uh, matter, before they understood atoms and things, and cells even. Uh, so, Middle Ages, uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic Church uh, came up with this definition, if you will, what's going on in communion, called transubstantiation, uh, trans changing of the substance. Uh, so uh, the form remains the same. What we see remains the same, but the substance of it, what, what defines what it is, is what changes during communion. Actually, it's when the priest uh, speaks the magic words. Uh, uh, so uh, the, the bread and the wine, the forms of that look the same, stay the same. Still looks like bread, still looks like wine, tastes like bread, tastes like wine. Uh, but the substance, when the priest says the words of, of our Lord, the words of institution, bing, the substance change. And now it is actually truly the body and the blood of Christ. Now, we don't look at the universe that way. That's not our worldview of how things are, matter and atoms and cells. And so it seems odd to try to describe uh, that's what's happening uh, in communion because we were using a philosophy, a worldview of centuries ago. And so that's the big danger of trying to over-explain uh, what is happening, anything that God does. Uh, we go as far as God goes and then we just stop there and there's much left unknown and that's to be expected. All right, so that's a Roman Catholic view of what's happening uh, in communion. Now, let's say if I were to go to a uh, non-denominational church, I'm not going to pick on any other uh, denominations, um, uh, went up to uh, communion, that's, I'm sorry, they would have passed it down the aisle. So let's say I take communion at that church. And then after service, I asked the pastor, what did I take? What did I eat and drink this morning in, in, in your service? And he would say, the bread and the wine, or probably grape juice, and only the bread and the grape juice. Because, in their view, the bread and the grape juice symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. Well, where do you think uh, the Lutheran Christians fall in this spectrum? Uh, we're, we believe that it's all there. The bread, the wine, the body, and the blood. Because, again, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul uh, recounts it again in, in, in Corinthians, one of his letters to Corinth, uh, the words of Jesus are clear. He, he picks up the loaf of bread, so clearly the bread is there. And he says, this is my body. So his body is there too. Picks up the cup of wine. Well, wine is really present there. And he says, this is my blood. And so we know his blood is there too. Every time Christians partake of the Lord's Supper. How does it happen? It's a miracle. What exactly is going on to make that real presence there? I don't know. 
Uh, well, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, obviously. Uh, but what's happening on a, a spiritual level or molecular level or what, you know, that's not explained to us in, in the Bible. And so we're not going to go beyond that. Uh, there is another big difference uh, between the views of communion. Uh, and it's interesting now... Uh, the Roman Catholic and the non-denominational churches are kind of on the same side here of where they look at this as um, our work. And remember way back we talked about law and gospel. Uh, so they put the emphasis on the law. What we are supposed to do, what's our responsibility. Uh, whether it is a non-denominational church where uh, it's that uh, the emphasis is on, well, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. That's the focus of uh, the Lord's Supper in, in that uh, theology. Or the Roman Catholic Church, which would say that we are re-sacrificing Jesus. We are doing this good work in order to earn a little bit of God's grace. Well... Again, the Lutheran Christian worldview says that, no, we're saved by grace. And so it is, uh, this whole purpose of the sacrament is gospel-oriented. It is Jesus' presence. It is God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's means of grace, delivering that grace, delivering Jesus, delivering faith to us through this event. Um, so there's some big differences uh, between uh, our worldview, our theology on this, and then many other churches. Uh, but for me, I think we really uh, balance uh, the perspectives and put the emphasis on God's work and uh, God's grace, Jesus's love for us, the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, I wanna show you a quick three minute video here. Uh, Francis Chan is a famous, world famous now, uh, evangelical pastor, made a big, big uh, name for himself in the evangelical church uh, circles. Um, and he uh, recently, it's maybe a couple of years now, uh, COVID wipes a year off in my memory, so it's hard to remember how many years. But um, uh, he, anyway, listen to this quick video about how uh, Francis Chan now views Holy Communion taking of the body and blood of Christ somehow in some real way. Again, I'm not making any like grand statements. I'm just saying I, some of this stuff I didn't know. I didn't know that for the first 1500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ. And it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized a thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more. I didn't know that. I thought, wow, well, that's something to consider. Um, and and I, while I won't make a strong statement, I will make a statement about this. It was at that same time that for the first time, someone put a pulpit in the front of the gathering. Because before that, it was always the body and blood of Christ that was central to their gatherings. For 1,500 years, it was never one guy and his pulpit 
being the center of the church. It was the body and blood of Christ. And even the leaders just saw themselves as partakers. And oh man, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I say that because the church is more divided than any time in history. What does this book tell us clearly? That he does not want any divisions in his church. And for a thousand years, there was just one church. Did you know that? We're so used to growing up in a time when literally there are over 30,000 Christian denominations right now. But for the first thousand years, there was just one. What was interesting is communion was at the center of the room every time they gathered. And it wasn't a pulpit where a guy preached after studying in his office by himself for 20 hours. See, right now we've got guys like me that go in a room, study, you know, that, that's what I was doing for years. Meanwhile, other guys went in their rooms and studied, and then we started all giving different messages, so many contradicting each other, and pretty soon it's like, well, I follow Piper, I follow Chan, I follow, you know, it's just like everyone's following different guys. I'm just saying, I, I believe there was something about taking communion out of the center of the church and replace it with a gifted speaker. Not that that gifted speaker is not a part of the body of Christ and a gift to the body of Christ, but the body itself needs to be back in the center of the church. You guys, I've been dreaming about this. I've been praying about this. Going, man, I would love it if one day in our country here in the U.S. people understood the body of Christ, that they were just a part of it and they got excited to gather and partake of the body and blood of Christ. And they celebrated together and that's why we gathered. Okay, thanks for listening to that. I thought that was just really meaningful that uh, this great pastor, theologian, has uh, come to this understanding of the Lord's Supper, its power in our discipling, you know, growing in our faith, our, our daily lives, weekly, monthly, yearly, as we conform more and more to the image of Christ and, and grow closer together as a Christian family. Uh, it's so central, it's so important. Um, that's why we have communion so often in our churches. Uh, now, just real quickly, I want to wrap up talking about some of the questions uh, that people have, or maybe we should have, we should consider uh, when we talk about communion. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul's writing to Christians in Corinth, this is the first century, they're having some trouble uh, with communion uh, practices, uh, being uh, not reverent, we'll say. And so he, he really lays out, spends a lot of time talking about communion, what it is, why it's important, how we should uh, practice it together as a Christian family. And uh, we won't read it all. I'll say in verse 25, uh, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, uh, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in verse 26, Paul Start, that was quoting Jesus. Now Paul's going to commentary here. Uh, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So the first question I have is what does it mean to eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner? I'll tell you a story about uh, a, a dear sweet woman, a saint, uh, now departed saint. Uh, but many years ago, I was a pastor of my first congregation. And uh, so she was a shut-in. She was homebound. She couldn't leave her house. And uh, for people who cannot leave the house, our churches, our pastors, go and bring church to them. We have a little mini church service. We uh, read God's word, we, we pray together, say the creed, and we have communion. And so I would go and visit her once a month, like clockwork, along you know, the other homebound uh, members of the church. But this particular woman, uh, every time we got to the part of, uh, for communion, she would say, oh no, no, I, I don't want communion today. And this happened for several months. And then uh, finally, I, uh, uh, we got to that, we had a nice conversation, a good visit. We had our little church service. We got to the communion portion of the service. And she says, no, no, I, I don't want to have communion today. And I said, do you mind telling me why you don't want to have communion? And she said, well, I just don't feel worthy. I mean, my heart just just sank what Paul's saying here about uh, making sure you're worthy and not doing it if you're unworthy uh, he's talking about repentance you know are you truly sorry for your sins uh, do you truly believe that uh, Jesus loves you that he died for your sins that this is a means this is one of the ways that God reassures us and, and, and gives us that forgiveness um, being uh, worthy to receive communion uh, means that you are unworthy on your own, your own works, right, to, to get to heaven, to be saved, to be worthy. It means you depend on Jesus. Uh, and so she had that contrite heart all along, uh, but she was just so afraid she wasn't good enough. And uh, we talked about that, talked about God's grace, talked about God's love for her, and then we, uh, we had communion, and she cried. It was so powerful for her uh, to receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. So uh, when Paul talks about being, you know, be careful that you're not doing this in an unworthy manner, uh, it means a prideful or boastful or, a con you know, we come to the Lord with, uh, with humble hearts, contrite hearts, seeking his forgiveness. Number two, what does it mean to examine yourself before partaking of communion? And that is to be able to reflect on your sinful condition, reflect on your need for a savior. And I think this is uh, an important, important note. Uh, so this is probably the big difference between baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is commanded for all people all nations, all ethnoses, all ages, 
Uh, it is God's grace poured out on all. Communion seems to have some, uh, I hate the word restrictions, but there's uh, uh, some conditions uh, on this, that you don't do it in an unworthy manner, that you examine uh, yourself, and then next that we discern the body and the blood. And these are, these are important things. And so number three, what does it mean to discern or not discern the body? And that is simply, do you believe that is the real presence, that Jesus is truly present in, with, and under the bread and wine? And then number four, uh, in addition to forgiveness of our sins, life, and salvation, Jesus strengthens our faith. There's the blank in him through the sacrament and our relationship with him. He also strengthens our relationship with one another. Communion. That's our communal meal. That's what we do as a community, as a, as a family of faith. Uh, it brings us together. Uh, now, on the next slide, uh, you can read uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body for all who partake of the one bread. All right? Again, Paul saying it again. This is the body and the blood of Christ. I'm not going to try to explain it, defend it, over-explain it, certainly. Uh, we're going to take God's word at face value and, and know that it's true. Okay, so the big question uh, I've got for you here. Why do we need the Lord's Supper after we have been baptized and heard uh, absolution. So if uh, you come to church on Sunday morning and you hear the words of forgiveness at the beginning of the service, and let's say 10 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago, uh, you were baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, why do you need to come up at the end of the service and have communion too? Well, like most people, uh, we are asking the wrong question. It's, wait a second, this is the real presence of Jesus? This is for the forgiveness of my sins and the strengthening of my faith? Yeah, give me more. See, that's the beauty of God's grace. He lavishes it on us. He's actually wasteful with his grace. If you go all the way back in the Old Testament, we still see the same picture of God in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, remember the verse that uh, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. What does that mean? It means that uh, if I were offering you a glass of iced tea and I took the whole pitcher of tea and I poured the, emptied the whole pitcher into your glass, you would be pouring over the table, on your lap, on the floor, and you'd be looking at me like, what are you doing? You're being wasteful with this. That's it. God pours out his grace on us. Our cup runneth over. We receive his grace and forgiveness and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in absolution, in our baptism, in communion, in words, uh, the word of God that we share with one another, that we read in scripture every day. And God just lavishes this grace on us. It's such a wonderful, wonderful blessing that we have. And then 
I'll just close uh, this lesson here. Uh, Acts 2, 41 and 42. This is the early church. Uh, what did they do? The, the first you know, generation of Christians. Uh, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So uh, how important and how central communion was, the breaking of bread uh, to the early church and throughout the centuries, all the generations since. That is the sacrament of the altar, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Thanks for joining us.